Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Bible reading from today is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 to 31. You know the drill. When I'm done reading, you, I would say, this is the word of the Lord. You respond by saying, thanks be to God. Isaiah 40. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My course is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. This time. All right, morning everyone. Yes, and um, special welcome if you're joining us for the first time. We are happy that you are here. My name is Femi, and I want to. Um, Dickin Kemi had already done the introduction, but she, she didn't do it very well. She didn't do it very well. She tried, but she didn't do well. No. You see, a single letter means a lot. If you omit a single letter, it means a lot. She called me the CSO. I'm not the chief security officer. Yeah? <laughs> Even though I look after your spiritual security, of course, uh, but I am the CSTO, the Chief Storytelling Officer, right? My favorite title. I, even though I really am liking that GQM, you know, especially because the GQM, the can it's like the GQ man. You know, all right, okay, but, but CSTO, yes. And, but it's a while I've told you guys stories. It's been a while. And I feel like I want to tell you a story uh, this morning. But this is a different kind of story. Usually I tell you stories about things that have happened in the past or maybe something fictional. I want to tell you a story about things that will, are meant to happen in the future. And I want to tell you a very serious story using numbers, using statistics, right? Now I want you to stick with me because the moment I say statistics, some people have looked down, <laughs> right? But I bind the spirit of, of, of dumbness in this church. You are not a real doll. You are not. You are not. You can, you can get it. So I, I, I believe in you. That's what I'm saying. But this is really important. And I've read a number of studies to be able to come up with some of these things that I'm summarizing for you guys. But a study was done in 2010. And at that time, the population of Christians in Nigeria was about 78 million people. And that accounted for about 49.3% of the population. And at that same time, the population of Muslims was 77.3, which accounted for 49%. 78 million, 77.3. 49.3 to 49. This, if you want to know, is where the basis for our power sharing formula. You know what I mean. Muslims today, you should be Christians tomorrow. This is the basis for it. But in that same study, 
certain projections were made as they saw the trends. And it says that in 40 years, by 2050, the population of Christians in Nigeria would have doubled to 155 million. But simultaneously, the population of Muslims in the same time would be 231 million. That is 39% for Christians and 58.5 or about 59% for Muslims. In other words, a 10% swing both ways. That alone should tell you that if you are angry about Muslim Muslim ticket today, that should be the least of your worries. It will just become the norm. What's going on here? Well, let me first talk a little bit about something called the, it's a statistical measure that a lot of people who look at population growth and all that, it is probably the most important measure. It is called the TFR, it's called the total fertility rate. The total fertility rate, basically, it's a measure of how, much, how many children a woman that goes through childbearing age, how many um, children she will give birth to, you know, in, in that period, all right? I hope you're still following. Now, so it can be one, it can be two, it can be three, whatever. But in the total fertility rate of a people or a nation, there's something called the replacement rate. The replacement rate is a figure, it's a number. The replacement rate is 2.1. That is, if you want to replace a population, you need to have it at 2.1. Why 2.1? That is, a woman should have 2.1 children. Now, look at it this way. Yes, I know, I know. I mean, how, how do you have 2.1 children? But look at it this way. It takes a man and a woman to give birth to a child, Abby. So, in other words, two of them, two adults, must give birth to 2.1 children. Or better put, let's multiply it by 10. 20 adults, 10 couples, will give birth to 21 children. Is that clearer now? Yeah. And why is that important? Why, is it a, why does it replace? If 20 people give birth to 21 children, think about it this way. When those 20 die, you already have 20 that will replace them. So nothing, that's even. But then there's one left. And so because there's one left, you can see that that population will grow. Is it clear? But that's why it's so important. Because if you go below 2.1, then all of a sudden, the population starts to what? Decline. Now let me tell you what's happening in the world. The West has a problem. Because it is in decline. The U.S.'s TFR is 1.84 at that time. It was 1.84. The UK was 1.68. Canada, 1.4. If you want to understand what that means, it means this in Canada. If you have 20 people, they are giving birth to what? 14 children. So if the 20 die, what happens? You have a gap of what? Six. And it keeps going. Uh, that some people are getting it. It's worse with some countries in the East. Japan is 1.4. China, because of their one-birth policy, is 1.15. But the worst country in the whole world is South Korea. It is 0.8. What does that mean? 20 people give birth to 8 children, a gap of 12. They are literally going into extinction. 
And when you look at the map of the world, when it comes to all of this, what you see is the, blue, the bluer the place, the more they are going into decline. Can you see it? The lighter blue, yes, they are a little bit better. What do you notice about a continent called Africa? <laughs> it's lighting up. The TFR for Africa as a region, for Africa as a region, at that time, when it was measured in 2020, you know what it was? 4.4. 20 people are giving birth to how many children? 44 children. Listen, the, next, the coming century is the century of Africa. It's not by, it's just by this thing. Do you understand? And if Africa's own at, was at 4.4, Niger is 5.3. And that was then. 20 people giving birth to what? 53 children. We have no problem replacing ourselves. Now I go through all of this to now come back to the first thing I was showing you. And the first, this is the third thing. In 1990, another study was done. And in that study, the TFR of Christians was 6.1, and the TFR of Muslims was about 6, sorry, that's uh, an error, was 6.4. What does that mean? Christians, 20 people, uh, Christians were giving birth to how many children? 61. 20 uh, Muslims were giving birth to how many children? 64. So, for every 10 couples, there was a difference of three children. Are you following? Fast forward as we were doing the projections, they projected that in 25 years, what was going to happen was that the Christian one would go to 4.5 and the Muslim would go to 6.8. And what happened? There was a difference of 2.3. For every 10 couples, there's a difference of 23 children. Sadly, an updated study was done in 2019. That gap is not 2.3, it's actually 3 to 3.5. So for every 10 couples, you are having 30 to 35 more Muslim children than what? Christian children. Are you seeing where the 231 million is coming? What did I say? If you are scared about Muslim Muslim ticket now, you are just making noise. It's the list of your problems. At some point, they will not even ask you. One time, Gaddafi was telling some of these people, he said, why are we blowing up ourselves in the name of whatever? I said, a time is coming. We don't need to start blowing ourselves. We will just go and take power. We will have the numbers. Now, what is some of the things that are driving this? I want to give you two of them that is driving this. Another one more study, last one. In that same 1919, that same report that did 1999-2015, one of the things that was seen was, and the first reason is slow education in, in women, basically. In 1990, the gap between females that had any form of formal education between Christians and Muslims was 12%. 32% of Christian women were educated, 20% of Muslim women were educated. So the gap was 12%. By the time you get to 2015, you know what it is now? The gap is no longer 12%. It is now 44%. Why is that important? Let me explain. You see, there was, by the late 90s, that was when the first state in Nigeria got Sharia law as a customary law. Now we have 12. 
Now, with Sharia law, what you have is that there is a bent towards the lack of education of women. It is just a fact. Now, that has created a cultural shift that has sociological implications. What is the cultural shift? Put it this way. Not only is there a bent against the Western education of women, there is a bent also against using contraceptives. So look at it this way. If you are not educated, that means you cannot work well. You can't get much work. So that means you are not economically self-sufficient. You are economically dependent. And if you are not allowed to use contraceptions, at the end of the day, a woman's value is simply what? To do what? To make babies. And that's why in that study, there was a poll. No, this was a third, a third study, a Cambridge study that was done. Remember I said that it creates a cultural shift. 50% of women under Sharia law said they preferred families of 10 plus children. 50%. In fact, there was one that then said that among House of Fulani people, the TFR now is currently at 8.01. If you thought Muslim, Muslim ticket today is your problem, you have not woken up. My story is over now. No, actually, let me give you a second reason. A second reason why that gap will continue to increase is not just that Christians are having less children, but there's another one. It's called increased Christian migration. When we hear the Jackpot story, let me tell you where it is not happening. It's not happening in Zamfara. The vast majority of people that are Jackpot are Christians. They are going to the West, remember, because the, rest, the West, they have not convinced their people to be having more children. So we have to get it from people. But they are not just taking anybody. They are taking more educated people. What do we understand about education? Who is more educated? Christians. Also, the West has a lot of their roots is in Christianity. So if you are somebody who has lived under Sharia law, you will rather go to Saudi Arabia than you want to go to Canada, isn't it? And you who is here, you will rather, if you're a Christian, you will rather want to go to Canada than go to Saudi Arabia. And so because of these two things, it will continue to grow, grow. Yes, it is true. Nigeria will probably have, by 2050, 2060, the second largest Christian population in the world, but will possibly also have the third largest Muslim population in the world. And when it comes to the difference between the two of them, forget it, the Muslims are well ahead. So why am I telling you all of this? At our last Kingdom Prayer Day, I revealed the prophetic word that I received about the state of church in Nigeria, and it was one word that came. You know what? That the state of the church, that the church is a weak church. The church is a weak church. And there were a number of places where we could see the weakness of the church, but two in particular were highlighted. The first was persecution. That Christians, again, you see, part of the problem is that we in Lagos are so comfortable. We don't know what's going on. We are, Lagos is not a country. It feels like it. We are one state in 36. I hope you understand. Christians are being slaughtered. Christians are being marginalized up and down. Anybody that some of, you should speak to some of, speak to Beatrice, speak to some of our, our northern, uh, speak to Moses, even though it's middle belt. They will let you know about the people, that there are people there. Christians are being slaughtered everywhere. Are you following? And so this has caused a weakness in the church. But possibly the thing that has caused even greater weakness 
is this. When we hear about persecution, and then now you see these numbers. When these numbers are put in, in the context of, some of you are now thinking, oh, more. That Canadian application, because if I can go in 10 years, let me see. What happens? We are fearful. Now, the fear, on the one hand, is a reflection of the things that we've seen. A reflection of the things that we've seen. But that is not the thing that causes the weakness. The weakness is this. When we see the thing that we see and there's a reflection, there is another fear that causes weakness itself. Fear is not just a reflection of what we are seeing. Fear becomes a cause of greater weakness again. Are you following? Hebrews 2 says that he delivered all those who, through the fear of death, had been all their lifetime subject to slavery. Fear itself is putting people in bondage. So when you see these kinds of things, you'll be like, yeah, I am scared. But those that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and will not faint. I am here to tell you, and this is what this sermon is about. It is not about fear. Listen, I spoke about the Stockdale uh, paradox. The Stockdale paradox is this, that we must never give up hope. In the midst of anything that's going on, we should never give up hope. But at the same time, hope is not an excuse to not confront the brutal realities. These are brutal realities, but yet we can have hope. Why? Because there is a God that renews the strength of his people. When you see statistics like this, it is not for us to call for fear. It is us to, for us to call upon the name of the Lord and say, God, send your renewal. And in the name of Jesus, God is bringing about a renewal. Because this story is not going to end in this way. I told you my name is the CSTO. Let me tell you the end of the story. The end of the story is that our God wins. Because he will send renewal. And so I want us to talk about this in three parts. This sermon that I've called, they will renew their strength. Because there is a way God is going to take a renewed church to deal with this. But let me quickly start by saying this. And I'll say it again, but I'll say it now so that you don't... Don't mistake this. There is one thing you are, not, you are not allowed. When I say you are not allowed, you'll be a great sinner if you do this. If you see this thing and you hate Muslims, you are not allowed. Are you following me? You are not allowed to hate Muslims. You will be a great sinner if you did it. Why? Because the one we follow says this. Love who? Your enemies. Why? Because the only way you are saved is because he loved you, you are an enemy. Whilst we were ungodly, Christ died for us. Amen. So, this sermon, they will renew their strength. We'll look at it under these three things. It's the weary church, so the weakening of the weary, the renewing of the weary, and the assembling of the weary. Turn to your neighbor and say, let hope rise. Oh Lord, bring hope again to this church. Bring hope again to this church. Let hope rise. Let hope rise. Let hope rise. Let darkness tremble in your holy light. Hope rise. Darkness tremble in your holy light. Let hope rise, 
darkness tremble in your holy Jesus, our God, great and mighty to be praised. Renew your church, O oh Lord God, and let hope rise. Rise. Darkness trembles in your home. Where the darkness comes, it can tremble. I see Jesus. Great and mighty to be praised. First point the weakening of the weary. You see, in the text that was read to us, Isaiah the prophet looks into the future. He has prophesied already previously about a looming danger, a looming catastrophe that will come about a hundred years from when he was talking to Judah. And he was prophesying that they will be taken into exile, people will be killed, all manner of things will happen. But now he looks into the future again, and now he talks about the condition of the people after that disaster has happened. Are we following? And when he talks about them, he concludes basically, and I can summarize it in two things, that their condition is that they will be weak they will be in grief and they will be weak. They will be in grief and they will be weak. Look at what it says in verse 27. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. So when somebody says that, the, when it says hidden from the Lord, the word hidden is in a perfect tense. That is, it is settled. It's like saying God cannot. It's not that God is refusing not to. It's God cannot see my condition. And sometimes when we are in grief, that is the way we feel. We like, in fact, I now know my way is hidden from the Lord. It's not about whether he chooses to or not. It is settled my way. He can't see my condition. But then, if you say, maybe he can see it. If he can see it, then the second one is this. My cause is being disregarded by my God. I put the being there because the word disregarded is an, in an imperfect tense. That is, it is continuous. So it is almost like saying, God continues to not answer my prayers. They are in grief. My way is hidden from the Lord. My way is, my prayers are constantly being dismissed by God. And as a result of that, we see that they are weak. Now I want to examine how we, they experience and how we experience grief, but also the reaction to that grief. How we experience grief and the reaction to that grief. And I want to take you through something that has been called the five stages of grief. The five stages of grief, he said, that you go from denial to anger, from anger to bargaining, from bargaining, you go to uh, uh, depression, and from depression to acceptance. That's the five stages of grief. So let's take the first, uh, the first two. This is the first way we experience it. First, we start with denial, and then we move to anger. Denial is when something happens, immediately we have shock. That's when you start saying, no, it's not possible. Maybe you've lost a loved one, and, and someone tells you, and be like, no, 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 that's why if you have ever been with people that have lost loved ones, they, they will say something like this. Is it true? Is it true? Because they're still trying to process. They're still in the place of denial, so they're in a place of false reality. And that quickly gives 
way to the next part where is anger. And anger is them coming back to reality. And many times when we are in that place of anger, we, start, we throw it out on people, but let us say, as we Nigerians, many times we are angry. Many people are angry with God because of the state of both the way the nation is, but also the state of Nigerian Christians. It makes us wonder, when we say, is our way hidden from God? It makes us wonder, does God see? And if he sees, does he hear our prayers? Because if he hears our prayers, why are there many Christians still, be, still being killed after decades of prayers? Why are they still being marginalized? Why will a major party field a, 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 a Muslim Muslim ticket just disregarding us? Why would God allow Christians soon to be a minority if he can hear us? And so there is anger, the same anger that we have towards God. Why will you take away my dad? Why will you take away my mom? Many times, collectively, we can say, God, why aren't you hearing the prayers of your people? And so we experience the grief in this way. And then we react to the anger in a particular way. What is it called? We react to the anger in revolution. You see, many times when people in a place have not been happy with how they have been ruled, eventually there is a change that happens from the top. And one of the, from the bottom, one of the changes that happens from the bottom is called revolution. So you've heard of the 1789 French Revolution, right? Where Napoleon and his people took over and they took the heads of the kings and they took the heads of the bishops together. They dismantled the hierarchy on top. You've heard of the Bolshevik or the Russian Revolution 1917, Right, uh, uh, Lenin went and they, they removed and killed the monarchy, the, uh, the last czars. Revolution is what happens from the bottom. And that happens when complaints are not attended to. Notice here in verse 27, it says, Why do you what? Complain. Jacob. The anger leads to complaining, and if the complaining is not attended to, it can lead to a revolt. But let me tell you, revolutions never make things better. They always leave things what, in a worse state than the thing they were complaining about. But the truth is, a lot of Christians are angry, and they are now revolting. Currently, many Christians who think God has been blind to their cause and dismissing their prayers, they are rebelling against the Christianity of their upbringing. They are like saying, they are saying like Job's wife. You know, Job's wife was not an atheist. She didn't say I don't, that there's no God again. She's just saying, this God doesn't care. Curse God, Job, and what? Die. And many people are cursing God. You are seeing many people explicitly saying, I no longer believe. Many people are saying, I don't believe in God. And because I don't believe in God, I will do what I want. And neither you nor God can stop me. There's a revolution that has been happening. You can see it in certain places. Twitter, you can see it in certain communities. A lot of it is happening in Lekki. A lot of it is happening in the tech space. A lot of it, there are people who are revolting against the God of their upbringing. Amen. Because they think this thing doesn't work for them. And this is going to add to the growing gap, the relative reduction in Christianity going forward. But there's something worse. Something worse. Because in that grief cycle, after you move from anger 
Or some people even jump into this. You're not getting to the place of bargaining. Bargaining is when you start to start to almost negotiate. You start thinking things like this. Maybe if you are, if it was with God, you start saying, God, God, if you if you if you if you let me get this job, if you allow me to keep this job, or God, if you raise my my my, my parent back to life, or God, if if, if this thought, I will do this thing, I will do this thing. You start bargaining. But sometimes when the tragedy has happened, some people, and I was even counseling somebody recently, that some people start bargaining in this way. That is when the what ifs. The what if. What if I was, if only I had called, she would not have. What if I got there early? What if I had prayed? What, are you following me? And then from bargaining, we then move toward depression. This is when we now become weary. This is the second and worst stage. We are weary, tired, and weak. The one who does not go tired and weak, he says, he says that in verse 28, he says, Sorry, verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak, weary and weak. He says, even those in their prime, even youths themselves, grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. There is a time you just get tired. We are tired of analyzing. We are tired of praying. We are tired of hoping. We are tired of being angry. We are tired of even being tired. We are weary. And if that weariness or that depression is the way we experience the grief, how do we react? It's not through a revolution, but this time through what? Resignation. At some point, you just give up. You see, the NSAS, which was a sort of revolution, a sort of revolution, the NSAS protest movement, when things didn't work out the way a lot of the people who were protesting, when it didn't work out in the way they wanted, what happened? It wasn't just that, hey, we just go back and let's just start working for another one. What happened? They just resigned. The NSAS generation became the Jackpot generation. I give up on this country. Now, notice what happens, especially religiously. When people start to give up on God, you know what they, next, they look for next? They look for what? Politics. When politics doesn't serve them, when God doesn't serve them, politics doesn't serve them, they just resign. They, you know what they look to next? Entertainment. So the occupied generation, after their own, occupied generation was 2011, when their own did not work, what did they do? They don't care about God, they don't care about politics. What did they do? They started caring about Big Brother Nigeria. I'm not joking, because at the same time that ties were going down religiously and record lows in voting, what happened? There was record highs. More people voted in Big Brother Nigeria in one particular year, in 2019, than, than voted in the election. That's why some of you, K-pop, K-drama, it's like, just, just keep following, just be laughing, laughing, laughing. Because I just resigned. We give up. Resignation often comes after disappointment of trusting in false hopes. And you end up in a state of paralysis that was worse than the thing that you were complaining about in the first place. Are you following me? And so many Christians are just tired with their disappointment in God. And you know what? Many are just silently designing, uh, resigning from Christianity. Silently. I don't want to say this. It's not, I'm not trying to prophesy. This is just the reality. Speak to child experts. At least I've spoken to Chidiman. She told me this. And many other places. Many parents eh, don't know that their children are just waiting to be independent. 
just waiting to be financially independent, and then they'll come out and just tell you, I have stopped believing in God for almost 15 years. It was just because of you I go to church. Jeremy was telling me about somebody, a 16, 17-year-old, that was already telling her, my mom thinks I'm a Christian. I've, I've stopped believing like three years ago. They have hated church for a while. They don't understand the stuff that we do because we made it for us and never for them. This resignation generation is probably our biggest problem. So it is not just about fertility rate, that's something, but there is also something that is going on internally. This is the anatomy of a weak church. And a weak church can never fulfill God's purpose for it. Again, I said, this is not the end of the story. You know why? The Bible says that God is not just the author of our faith. He is what? The finisher of it. But God, if everything were left to us, then you can say the end of the story is totally bleak. But the story of Christianity in Nigeria never started with a man and we will not end with a man in the name of Jesus Christ. God is the author and God is the one that ends up writing the story. Listen, there was, Christianity was less than 5% at the beginning of the 20th century. And now we're talking about 49%. Fine, yes, we can look at the looming Muslim increase. But I'm saying that the God that caused that thing at the very beginning, he will renew our strength. Let hope rise. Before you start entering into fear, Isaiah is telling you, do you not know, have you not heard? Don't lose hope. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't lose hope. That takes me to my second point, the renewing of the weary. If that is the issue, let me tell you guys, God has got this thing figured out. Remember the grief cycle, at the, grief, at the five stages of grief. What is the end? If somebody goes through it well, not everybody does, because sadly some people probably end up in suicide, in their depression. Some people never come out of that place of depression. But for those who eventually move forward, the final stage is what we call acceptance. In acceptance, what is happening, they are now finally able to process the grief. But there's something that enables them to process, give me the next one. There's something that enables them to process the grief. The acceptance is really, it ends up with processing the grief and they're able to move forward. But before they can process the grief, you know what they need? Hope. Hope. That's why even though Isaiah started, why are you complaining? Why are things so bleak? He then says this. He says, but those that what? Hope in the Lord. Those that what? Hope in the Lord. You see, when you have fear, fear is a look into the future. It looks into the future. It's a form of prophecy. It looks into the future and it says, the future is not bright. What is hope? Hope looks into the future and says, even though I cannot understand all that is going on, but there is something that says that this thing is going to end well. In the name of Jesus, our faith will end well. Amen. That's why he asks the question. It's an, it is a, a theological question. It's an experiential question, but it's all about the knowledge of God. He says, do you not know theologically knowledge? Have you not heard? Have you not experienced something about God? And he tells you two things about God. Why? Because do you know the difference between false, and, uh, false hope and true hope? False hope hinges on something that is not true. True hope hinges on what is what? True. And so he's going to put that hope, what? In the character of God. 
And two things he says about the character of God. He says God is omnipotent and God is omniscient. Have you not known, have you not heard that God is the creator from the ends of heaven. He is so, he has so much power. He is the one that created all things. But that same God is the everlasting God. He is full of wisdom. He knows the end from what? The beginning, everlasting. He didn't come at a certain time so he will not expire. He has seen the beginning and he has seen the end. He knows more than us. Now, if you want to understand God and how God works, you must always hold those two things in balance. Because sometimes, many times when we're in grief and we don't have hope, we always see that we know that God is omnipotent. Job's wife knows that God is omnipotent. But why didn't God now enter into this situation? It means that God doesn't care. But she missed out something. God is also omniscient. So sometimes, even though he can do what we want him to do, out of his wisdom, he decides not to do it. Are we following? He wants us to know in our distresses that he is both the God that has all power, but he is God that has all wisdom. The question is this. Even when he does not use his power in a way that we want, will we trust in him? Will we hope in him? Something happened to me when I was 15. You know, like um, many of you, growing up, we had a number of relatives stay with us. Number of relatives from both my mom's side and my dad's side. But one of them in particular was very close to, and he probably stayed with us the longest. Now, in between those times, there were always threats, you know, maybe you'll do something bad. My dad was always threatening that you go back to your mother's place, all of that. Sometimes he went, sometimes, he, most times he came back. He misbehaved sometime. Um, at the point when I was 15. But this time, my dad said, you are going. And you're not coming back. And I remember seeing that, and I, I was like, ah, no, that is joking. Later, I started to realize, no, he's serious. He's not coming back. And then I became very sad. And I will never forget, my dad saw how sad I looked, and he called me, he said, Femi, he said, you are sad that he's going, isn't it? He said, what I am doing now, he said, you won't understand. He said, but he has to go into the world. He said, he is 30 years old. He needs to go into the world. He said, what I am doing now, you won't understand. I'm no longer 15. I have used that story in many, in many instances of counseling to counsel people. I understand now what my dad was talking about then. You see, my dad had the power at that point to make me happy in that instance. But he knew that if he used his power at that point, it would be foolish. So his wisdom stopped him from using his power at that time for a greater use of his power so that I myself will understand when I am going older and so that that other person himself can be unleashed into the world to make a way for himself. Are you following his wisdom restrained his power so that his power can be used in a better way. The point was this. Was I going to trust my dad even though I did not understand? And I looked, I said, it's my dad. He wants the best for me. And so even though I did not understand, I trusted, I hoped in that what my dad was doing was going to be for my good. And in the same way, God's power and wisdom work hand in hand. God has the power to do the thing that you want him to do. But he doesn't always do it. I don't understand why. All we know is this, that God himself, that has all power, is also what? All wise. 
Listen to me. God will solve this problem that we have in Nigeria. I can assure you of that. You know why? Because his power and his wisdom always work together to solve all problems. If you check through the whole Bible, but let me give you one instance. The most important instance. The gospel. Because what is God's solution to the problem of sin of mankind? It is not just another word. It is not just advice. It is not just words. It is a person. The person's name is Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22. Do you know what he calls Jesus? Jews demand what? A sign of what? Power and Greeks they look for what wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. What is Christ crucified? But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, he is what Christ the power of God, but not just the power of God. What is he? The wisdom of God. God had the chance to be able to take Christ from to stop Christ from being crucified, but his wisdom did not allow him to use that power to stop Christ from being crucified. Why? Because we would have seen God demonstrated power against the Roman army but we will not have seen God's power to save and that is why his wisdom was at this on display and the people of the, 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 the dominion of darkness did not understand that's why 1 Corinthians 2 8 says this none of the rulers of this age understood it why? it was the wisdom of God that was working for if they had they would not have what? crucified the Lord of glory I prophesy that God is bringing strength back to his church in Nigeria don't look at the data alone and say, look at what the looming disaster. There is a wisdom that the world cannot understand and it is on display. God is going to renew his church and that is the wisdom of God that will bring the change that we need. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't lose hope. For it is those that hope in the Lord they know that there is power. They know that there is wisdom. If the church is weak, it is those that hope in the Lord that what? He said they will renew their strength. Once has the Lord spoken. Twice have I heard that power what? Belongs to the Lord. But with him also, there is great mercy. The Lord will renew his church. Oh, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Have you never noticed that before God does a thing, there is always a sound that is coming? Uh, can you hear the prophetic sound? When everything looked bleak in Israel, and they had been farming for so long because the rain had been shut down, and the people did not know what's happening, Elijah said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And we know what happened after. Or go to Acts chapter 2. When the world was languishing in sin and the people were at the upper room and they said suddenly there was a sound and the Holy Spirit came and the world was never the same again. Guys, I hear a prophetic sound of renewal that is coming to this church. God will bring that renewal. And his renewed church is the answer. What would the renewed church do? The renewed church will center the focus of mission back to where it's meant to be. Where is the focus of mission meant to be? The evangelization of people. Let me give you a bit of a history, background history. We have had cycles of renewal, revival and renewal in this country. The 30s revival, the 50s revival, the last real revival was the 70s revival. 
charismatic Pentecostal renewal or revival that happened in on the campuses. And that gave birth to many ministries that we know today. But there was something, a shift that happened. And that shift, the way I put it here was this. There was a shift of the missional purpose of the church. It moved from converting the lost to transforming the found. Focus moved towards empowerment, towards healing, towards breakthrough, towards helping us in our relationship, towards um, uh, uh, ascension to power and influence. That is where the focus moved to for Christians. Now, do not get me wrong. All of the things I have just spoken about, I affirm they should have been there and they must continue to be there. Amen. But all of those things are the elements of transformation. Because if you get saved today, that doesn't mean that you are transformed and enlightened in all of those things. But here was the mistake we made. Instead of adding transformation to our mission, we subtracted evangelization. We should have added and kept what remained. Jesus says, you should have done these things, but you shouldn't have neglected this other one. And so, all of a sudden, there was little evangelism that was done in schools. Many of us that are saved here, you tell me, I was saved in secondary school. When we used to have boarding, uh, you know, after, after your... What the, how do you people used to eat again in boarding school? They are, I'm not talking about posh boarding schools. I'm talking about you bush people that went to federal government school. And what do you call it? Eh? Dining. Eh? After you've done your dining thing, right, and you rush the meat... Uh, very quickly, uh, you'll, you'll be unchristian there that you now go and now do fellowship. And they used to allow evangelists or people to come in. People used to have fellowship meetings, all of that. What is that? What is left now? Evangelists don't come in. We bring in motivational speakers to come and speak to our children. I'm not saying don't bring in motivational preachers. I'm saying you should not have subtracted. You should have what? Added. And look at the campuses. I said the 70s revival happened on campuses. What do you have on campuses? Campuses are not places now where people are evangelizing people. Campuses are places where there are fellowships and the fellowship become platform for one guy who is about to launch his ministry outside. And church growth, Uncle. Church growth. That was partly through saving the lost. It now gave way to church growth that is only through member transfer. I don't like this church. I'm going to the next one. Ah, our church is increasing. All your church is increasing because of Christians that are joining the church. And look, even this church, see the church increased because most of you, you are tired of one other church. So I'm not trying to look outside there. Evangelization must come back to the church. So a renewed church will focus on evangelism, but I want to highlight the evangelization of two particular groups we must not miss out. One, explicit non-Christians. Two, Christian children. Let me start. Explicit non-Christians. I had a senior man of God, Bishop Waleoke, say recently, he said the church's attitude, the church's attitude from the mid-70s to about the late 80s, the church's attitude towards Muslims changed. It changed to what we have from the 90s to what we have today. What was that change? 
He said, because of the church's attitude that changed, because I agree with him, and let me break it down. Because of the church's attitude that changed towards Muslims, do you know we had, we had less conversions and more divisions between Christians and Muslims? When I was growing up, like, first of all, some of my family members are Muslims. I have Muslims all around. When I was growing up, right, in the 80s, it was not 80s, 90s. It was not uncommon. Even in 2000, you would have heard people. You see their surname. The surname is Muslim, but you see them in church. What are you doing here? They'll tell you, let me tell you a story. There are people in this church. I don't even want to call them. Okay, I'll call them Dick and K. There are people in this church that, that grew up as Muslims and got converted. And when you hear the story, there was a relentless person that kept pursuing them or the church campus fellowship that was trying to, you know, get them to be saved. But once evangelization went down, what happened? We started becoming scared of them because we weren't having relationships with them. You are always fearful of the people that you don't know. They said the devil that you know is better than what? The angel you don't know. So we started having divisions. And because religion was not a thing that was important to us again, we started looking at politics and our division was showing more in politics. And in that same time that we are being empowered, you know what happened, what we said at the very beginning? The more you empower and educate a generation, the fertility rate goes down. So the Christian fertility rate was going down. The Muslims were going under Sharia. They were going, and we stopped converting them. And so everything is now expanding. The gap between them and us keeps expanding and expanding. Are you seeing the problem? And so when we look at it again, we can become fearful. And we think our only answer now is politics. Let us vote them out. Let us create a Christian block. If we create a Christian block this year, I can assure you in 10 years' time, you don't have the numbers. That is not what we are called. The church is not primarily a political body. The church is an eternal body. There is a way this problem can be solved. Listen to me. Don't start fearing that there is a 3.0 gap in our TFI. Okay, if there is a 3.0 gap, let me tell you, if TFI is not the, is the problem, TCR is the answer. What is TCR? We must increase our total conversion rate. If it is 3.0 among them, we will have a total conversion rate of 3.1. We will convert more of them than they're having children more than us. Amen. Amen. God's renewed church is the answer to this thing. The evangelization of Muslims and other explicit non-Christians is the way to go. That is the mission of the church. Amen. Amen. When we are strong, we'll be able to do what God has called us to do. I'll say it one more time. Our job is not to hate Muslims. If at any point, because you are scared of any Muslim or anything, listen, there are people in this church whose relatives are Muslims. Their siblings are Muslims. So if you are hating Muslims, you are hating their, their family members. And if you hate their family members, they'll say, you are hating me. We pray for them. Love your enemies. It is by love that we bring them into the kingdom. Amen. The second one, hmm, the evangelization of Christian children. Listen to this statement. Some of you want to write it down. The gospel believed in a first generation that is then assumed in a second generation will be surely lost in the third generation. The gospel believed in the first generation but then assumed in the second generation will surely be lost in the third generation. Can I tell you another story? I listened to a pastor. His name is Tan Hao. 
He's a pastor of a church in Singapore. He told the story about South Korea. You see, if you go to South Korea, the largest church in the world, Yoido Fellowship, some of us will know, David Yonggi Cho, the largest church in the world, a membership of 800,000 people is in South Korea. In South Korea, particularly when you go to the 80s, having churches of 300,000, 200,000 was the norm. They had a revival. They had a revival, I, I think it was 50s, 60s, 70s. It was something incredible. That revival was so good that before the Korean War in 1953, 4%, just for one out of 25 people, 4% of South Koreans were what? Christians. By the time you got to 1985, 34% had become Christians of the whole nation. You may think it's not something, that is a miracle. 34% have become Christian because of the revival. You know what happened after? Empowerment. Education. And so by the time you got to 2015, in 30 years, the population of Christians in South Korea had gone from 34% to 22%. But the worst thing about that 22%, only 3.3% of youths said that they believed in God. The Christians who assumed that stopped, the, the people that were children of the revival, they assumed the gospel, they didn't take it to their children, and that is what gave their children. The children, they were going, the parents were going to church, the children were listening to K-pop. Are you following what I'm saying? May God not allow that to happen in this country. Because some of us, the truth is this, we are losing our children for lack of evangelism. I'm not talking about lack of Christ, uh, teaching Christian morals. We teach Christian morals, yes. I'm not talking about Christian empowerment. Yes, we do that. But are your children saved? Do they have the Holy Spirit? Don't assume the gospel. If you assume it, ah, maybe they've been going to church. Maybe they will hear it. We must not lose this next generation. Amen. Maybe some of us now are being scared. Hey, Balao, are we losing them? Are we listening? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The God who is the everlasting God is also the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one. The Bible says this, Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth with your great power. Is there anything too difficult for you? The disciples told Jesus, said, Ah, who then shall be saved? And Jesus said, With man, all the, it is impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. In the name of Jesus, that which we think is not possible with our children, God will make it possible. We will not lose them. And let me show you let me show you hints of it. Why we did the, remember the retreat? Remember the children's retreat? Why we were speaking about it? Yes, we do gospel center stuff for our children. But one of the things we prayed about, we kept praying about was that God, bring about, we don't want our children to just be sitting down doing crafts, as wonderful as that is. To just be nodding and saying, yes, we want our children, we want our children to be able to experience God. These children that look emotionless during worship, we want God to break their emotion. Because they felt the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are losing hope, I want you to watch this video. Just so you know that hope will rise. Hi everyone, we're at the Ignite Camp for the teens and preteens of City Church. Come, let me give you an inside look. Some of you, the storm that faced.
facing is the storm of constantly trying to do the right thing, but you keep on failing. Exactly. You probably, for example, that I mean, that Deborah has said. My name is Tomiwa. I'm not being nice count. I had a life-changing experience yesterday. I experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time. Not to sound um, cliche or exaggerating, but it has been a life-changing experience. Before I came to this camp, I've always been skittish about following Jesus or making a decision that big but after I've listened to like sermons I have understood what it really means to follow Jesus which is the theme of the camp itself who are you following so I do understand who I'm following now and at first I thought um, it wouldn't be like fun or it wouldn't like really affect me but I was definitely wrong because um, it has really changed my perspective on things and it was fun I met new friends and it was a really nice experience and I definitely do it again. The name of the name of the retreat we called what ignite. We don't just want gradual things to happen. We say, God, light a flame in these children's hearts. A flame that will continue to burn so that when 2050 comes, those who say that uh, the fate of Christians is dead in this, those children will be the answer. Where you think that hope is going, know that God has not given up. You see, there was a time in the 70s, they, ev- they, they emphasized Billy Graham and, and John Stott and the people, they came up with a problem and they said that we are going to evangelize the world. They put it, they said there is going to be a mission to the nations. And yes, almost every nation in the world has heard the gospel. But now we must shift it from a mission to the nation to what? A mission to the generations. Our children will know the Lord. Our children will know the Lord. And our children will make sure that all their friends also know the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. When God brings renewal to the church, strength comes back. And when strength comes back, he enables us to do exploits. Finally, the assembling of the weary. Because someone says, how can we see this happen practically? I wish I could tell you there's just a simple way. No, there are a number of things. And we've been talking about that. We're following the series that we've done. We did spiritual warfare, something of spiritual warfare first. And then we now talked about money. And we talked about how money is used in the advance of the kingdom. It essentially is a form of spiritual warfare. Our generosity and our wealth creation. But at the same time also, we also spoke about kingdom advancing prayers. And a lot of what we've been doing in our kingdom prayer days has been about this thing. And can I say this, please? If you've never joined the kingdom prayer day, the next one, you should be there. But even during our prayers, you go, we pray for the advance of the kingdom. But there's one more thing we can do. You see, when it says, those who hope in the Lord, it's a, the hope word there, the Hebrew word, is a very rich word. So it's hard to translate into one word. It means so many things. That's why if you look at the King James, it's not just hope. The King James says, those that wait on the Lord. It is wait, it is hope, it is trust. There's another word that is there. It is rest. Those who rest in the Lord will what? Be renewed. In other words, by that logic, rest leads to what? Renewal. Rest leads to what? Renewal. And when we are renewed, then we can be mobilized. Now, 
the children of Israel, when God was constituting them in Leviticus chapter 23, he announced something that they should be doing. His Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals. The appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as what? Say it together. Sacred assemblies. They were to assemble in a way, a sacred assembly. And that sacred assembly was going to mean certain things for them. Verse 3. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath what? Rest. A day of sacred assembly. So the day of rest, at these appointed festivals, they were meant to come together. Amen. The rest was meant to be experienced together. You are not meant to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. So those festivals that they, that they called some of the, once in a year, they will come together. They were also simultaneously Sabbath rest days. So that when they now gather together, they experience rest. And through that, they can remember that God is their source. They can also remember that they don't live for themselves. They live for God. And in that renewal, they can be re-energized so that they can continue to live for God. Listen. I'm happy that God is helping your marriage or for those of you who want to get married or I'm happy that God is helping your parenting I'm happy that God is helping your work all of these things matter for us but your main purpose in life is none of those things the main purpose if you are a Christian your main purpose is to do what? to see the advance of the kingdom of God Amen but for that to happen we need to be renewed for that to happen we need to rest for, that, for us to rest we need to what? call a sacred assembly so I want to challenge you City Church is calling a sacred assembly. It's on October 11 to October 13. It is in line with our vision. What is the vision of this church? Our vision is to what? Catalyze a gospel-centered movement that what? Oh, so you see that word? It has been there from there. We are looking for renewal. That is our vision. But we also need that renewal to happen through times of rest and sacred assembly. And when I'm saying this, I'm saying sacred assembly. You should not work. Are you willing to give that up? October 11 to October 13, we are calling our Renew Conference 2022. It is a place where we want to empower both leaders and both ministry leaders and people who are just normal Christians. We need to get renewal from the Lord. Do you know what the title is? The Gospel on the Move. The Gospel what? On the Move. Because this Gospel must move. Amen. But it's going to move by a church that is renewed. So we want you to gather together. We want to come and hear. We are bringing speakers from both the continent and also outside. We need to look at this thing. God needs to bring strength to the church. Guys, the stakes are higher, but our God is higher. The church may be weak, but our God is stronger. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.